Hey everybody, this is Keith Sarlos and Michael Larson. And this is uh, chapter four of a little fun thing we're doing called the book report. So a few people have reached out and said, hey, when are you writing your book? And the answer to that is I'm never going to write a book. But that's where Michael Larson comes in. He is going to take the scribblings of a madman and put them into something cohesive that doesn't look like a uh, small bearded man living in the middle of a forest, uh, mailing things out to you and uh, <laughs> launch a manhunt uh, to find him. So that is what we're going to do here. Um, heard from a lot of good people that uh, last episode was really good. And that's awesome because I listened to about five minutes of it and then felt super embarrassed and turned it off. Um, <laughs> so that all being said, um, on the front end of this, if you have something that you would like Mike to contact you about, if you have a Charles and Son story of your own, if you have questions and you need answers to the literally hundreds of people who are listening to this, uh, send an email to us. It's book, B-O-O-K, at Sarlos, S is in Sam, A-A-R-L-O-O-S-A-N-D-S-O-N-S.com. And you can also find myself at Sarlos and Sons, one word on Instagram, Facebook, and all that other jazz. And where can they find you, Michael? Um, you don't Michael? have to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> Who's looking for Who's, me? Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's well, a really good question. Okay, we'll set you to private. Not, We're good. Um, so, what are we talking about today, Mike? All right. So uh, we're going to be we're going to be touching on some important themes here that you've talked uh, to a lot of people about. It's kind of in your in your blood. It's the family motto: honor and prepare. But we're not Ooh. actually just doing honor and prepare because I think there's there's a lot of layers to that. That's a big thing. We may we may hit that in a podcast in the future. But specifically, um, and I actually kind of love this because you have zero clue what we're about to talk to. And I can. Basically ask I honestly <laughs> woke up with so much anxiety this morning. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a lot of stuff done. And then I remember we had to do this and it all sunk in. Just started so, sweating. I am, uh, man. The drive no, this- from coffee to here was pretty bad. This will be this will be good. This will be uh, this will be an easy one, but it's a it's a big part of honor and prepare. So today we're going to be talking about fathers and sons. Ooh, okay. So what what you know I, I think uh, uniquely for you um, for your family there's a lot of there's a lot of family history. You know we've seen it on bottles of wine. We've heard you talk about it in allocation releases and, and just stories. And it really is you know who they who your family was and who they are is a part of who you are in, in such a, such a great uh, way. And I think a, a significant way. So I kind of wanted to, to start back as far as you wanted to go um, uh, specifically with your grandfathers. Just tell me a little bit about them, maybe some great memories, sure. something just kind of kick us off. So if I go all the way back, um, my a very interesting thing. My grandpa grew up in a town called Hall, Iowa, and uh, his father died when he was pretty young. And as it goes, uh, my great uncle John, who we make a wine called Courage. We had uh, Elmer, who was younger than my grandpa, Harold, who was younger than my grandpa, um, Pauline. So we had a bunch of kids and my grandma Tilly, which is on another bottle called uh, Great Grandma. Uh, we're living in Hull, Iowa, great depression, grapes of wrath, um, bad as it can get and lose their father. And John drops out of school, uh, starts running the family farm. My grandpa lives down the street with another family, um, 
so he could make money and not be a burden to his own. And uh, as it goes, was a mortuary. And there's a lot of very interesting, possibly unsubstantiated stories that go along with that. Um, but I think if we talk about like fathers and sons, and there is, you know, definitely daughters involved in this, um, that that moment of my grandpa losing his dad, I think was a very big moment in our family's life because it took something that was normal, uh, you know, regular household and kind of throws it into chaos. And that I think set our family on a definite path um, that we are today because they say you become a man when your dad dies. And sometimes that's when you're 10 years old. And sometimes it's when you're 80. And for my grandpa, I think uh, that set him off a path of uh, independence, has to work hard for himself. Um, there's not going to be, you know, somebody handing him anything. It's go out and get it. And I think that's kind of that Great Depression, greatest generation mindset. He went to enlist with my my great uncle John. They took the older brother, not the younger. Then, uh, then my grandpa was really on his own because it's the person who replaced his father was now gone in his life. And he made his way from Iowa to California. Um, fast forward big time. Um, you know, had drank orange juice in Riverside, a kind of a roadside stand, which was a huge deal. Um, it's why I got oranges in my stocking when I was a kid, strangely mm-hmm. enough, because mm-hmm. Oranges in the Midwest in the winter were a delicacy. You know, you, they had, someone had to bring them. And he said, if I could drink orange juice every day the rest of my life, I'm rich. And that's a pretty great bar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, met my grandma at church, got married, had two boys. And I think that kind of, you know, baby boomer era, era of optimism post-war, you know, things were good. Uh, buildings were being built. People were coming back from a war with tools and skills and um, said, I'm going to go do those things. I promised myself when I was in a foxhole and they actually went out and did it. And my, that leads to my dad and my uncle and my dad and my uncle were, are, were continue to be very, very close. And I think that from a outside perspective, if I, if I look down a horizon line and I look down the buoys that are kind of set in a path, my grandpa losing his father and then losing his older brother, he, I'm not going to say he was the greatest dad. Um, he was, you know, a normal, uh, baby boomer dad who, you know, kids are at home with mom kind of a thing and he's working and, uh, he's, he would definitely not be like, you know, some sort of hover super dad now. Um, but his, you know, my, them growing up and I have to give a lot of credit for my grandma, of course, on this. So fathers and sons really bleeds into whole mm-hmm. families. Um, you know, th- my dad and my uncle are super close and anything one did, the other was right with them. And they, you know, they wore the same uniforms. They played baseball together. They did this together. They worked together as they grew up. And there was a business that they all worked at called Ezel Nursery Supply uh, on Woodruff in Bellflower, California, because that area was all dairies. Um, They all sat in one room and there was no walls between them in their offices. And 
looking back at it, that's kind of a weird thing, but I also think that's a big part of what shapes us as a family, because as that business progressed and my dad was working with his dad and, and my uncle was working with them and, and, you know, grandpa was the CEO, so to speak, my dad's, uh, sales and marketing, things like that. And my uncle was logistics, that teamwork of all three of them, even when they moved into a bigger office and it was, you know, moderately big business, they still didn't have any walls. And when you would walk into that room, it was just a huge room with three desks. And if you were going in there to complain about logistics, you would stand in front of my old man and, you know, berate him left and right. My uncle would just sit there quietly doing his work and heard everything and, but took none of it personally. And the guy, you know, someone would walk out and then they would all kind of swing their debt chairs and look at each other and talk about the thing. Hmm. A very hive mind, really. If you think about it now, really ahead of its time, because there was no, you know, uh, golden castle that the owners of the business were in. It was a big bullpen with all three of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, now you look at workspaces and things are real progressive when there's just these huge halls. Uh, you know, Apple finally caught up to what they were doing for years and years and years and years. And that bled into, I grew up, you know, working on a desk in there or dumping trash or doing whatever. And I heard people walk in and berate my dad in front of him, even though he's not listening, but everybody knew kind of how this worked. I've also heard them all yell at each other in this room, you know, close the door and go at it. Um, it's a very weird dynamic, but that dynamic I think is still very, very much with us today because um, I work with my dad. There are no secrets. I talk to him five times a day all the time. My two cousins work with me. Um, they work with their dad. My cousin Zach is here. My kids are around. My wife is a huge part of this. Um, My mom is a massive part of everything. And that family mentality or that father and sons is perhaps sexist, but it's not meant to be because it's always been dad and his boys working together. It's always been that kind of for generations. And The bigger piece of that pie to me is with, you know, when we name our business Sarlos and Sons, that's not a uh, declaration. Like there is a Sarlos. That is a declaration of this is Sarlos and Sons. And, you know, people say to me, when are you going to call it Sons and Daughters? And I said, well, you know, as soon as my daughter has two boys, she's the Sarlos. The whole point of it is you don't know who's who, you know, people ask me, are you the Charles or are you the son? I go, yeah, both. My yeah. dad's the same thing. My, uh, you know, this can, this whole business of us working together, it is very vertical for generations. And this is just what happens to be what we're doing right now. So growing up in that environment, you know, the, the, the big hall. Yeah. You know, hanging out in this big room. What what do you what are kind of your early memories uh, from watching that 
And how has that impacted, you know, cause it, it's interesting. It's unique that yeah, you're, yeah. you're still, you're still in a family business. It's actually not the same business that it was. So there, there's something that transferred there in whether a desire or, you know, culture or whatever that was, Hey, here's Keith watching this happen. And at some point down the road ends up saying, yeah, I want to keep, I want to do the same thing, but yeah. in a completely different way. Well, I think that's, if you, you know, you run your family like a business and your business, like a family, you tend to have success. And mm-hmm. with that, I remember opening mail across from my grandpa as a little kid and my dad and uncle are arguing about a point, but whenever we argue about things, it's not about being right. I have no desire to be right. I have a desire to find the best possible solution to the problem. And it is confrontational. And my wife does not care for that. But I rarely get personally upset with someone. If we're trying to find the best solution, it's how we're both trying to hit the nail on the head in the dark, because there are no rule books to this stuff. No one knows what's right. But you're searching and you're beating each other with hammers. And that my cousin Brad and you know uncle and stuff. When me and my dad get into a room, it it turns moderately brutal and some sometimes uncomfortable because he and I will just turn on each other and it was it's like a hockey match, right? It's like no, neither one of us not only not lose, but we will hammer and hammer and hammer until we both feel uh, exhausted. That okay, there's no other solution to this. This this is the right solution because we've beat it to death. We beat each other to death and neither one of us can have a better answer because we'll concede and go, I hear what you're saying. And you go, Mm. but, and you throw it in and eventually you get to a point. Right. But I remember sitting there and hearing, you know, like I was saying, someone come in and talk ill about my dad when I was a little kid, you know, when that's in the era, when somebody says that and you're a kid, you want to punch somebody kind of a thing. Um, But my grandpa you know, just put his finger to his lips because I looked at him and I was shocked by this whole thing. And he just kind of goes and pointed back to my hands and, you know, help him open his mail with a letter opener. And then I'd hand it to him and he'd highlight what we have to pay. And um, that was it. And I, I understand it was like, keep your head down, shut up, keep your ears open. You know, if you have that combo, then you never have to rely on hearsay. Hmm. It's always real open, real honest, you heard the cadence because everybody will say something in the best possible way in every single way. Right. But when you go in and you just let it fly, you hear the honesty and you go, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a problem. We've got to fix that. You know, things like that. Um, and that's, that's work life. You know, I remember that quite a bit. Um, but I think a lot of that just bleeds into, um, uh, what was the right thing is the understanding of like, I'm on the school board right now. I hate being on the school board. I think it's the worst. I'm not, I'm not necessarily good at it. I'm not a politician. I'm not really even a joiner. Right. Hmm, Yeah. But I'm on the school board because when I sat there, And I said, well, who do I want to make in decisions for my kid? And I kind of said me. 
And if yeah. I'm not, if nobody else is running for this, you have to step into it and adult, right? Yep. And the same thing comes down to uh, as pro- as technology progresses, you fewer and fewer people are thinking for more and more people. And mm. I'll give you an example. I used to go to the grocery store and there would be a checkout person that made great money, but she was looking at all of the, the, or he was looking at every can coming through and they were doing 10 key and pumping in the price as fast as they could see it and sliding it down. There was a person that put the price on the cans. Those are two jobs, right? Mm -hmm. There was a person who did this. So there's all these people that were employed. Um, And that person made great money and they had a really great skill. Barcodes come out. Now there's one person thinking for literally thousands and thousands of people. They're sliding it. Boop, 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 boop. They took the skill away. You could hire anybody to do that job. Now you can self-check out. Give me a break. Mm -hmm. And it took away that person having a skill, that person having a, a great need. And it replaced it. One person thought for a thousand. Now, if I go to some stores like Smart and Final has it, digital price tags on the shelves. And if things are selling quickly, they have an algorithm that will slightly increase the price and slightly increase the price in real time. Mm. So that now the price on the thing is is being thought, all of it's being thought by someone else. And then we're just cogs in the machine. That's a long story to say, I always wanted to be the guy that's thinking, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't want anybody telling me what to do, not in a negative way, not in an egotistical way, but I I like problems. I like fixing problems. And that's mostly what being business is about and forging your own own path. So, so you, you say you wanted to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that was because you were sitting there since a kid watching these oh, guys make decisions? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, so that's, the, I don't, that, I don't know if it was even a decision, man. Yeah, that's yeah. a weird thing to say, but that was the, mm. the culture the in which I grew up in. Yeah. That was the life. My dad would sit at the dinner table and talk to my mom about his day. My grandpa would do that when we went to lunch, we'd go to lunch all the time at my grandpa's house. My grandma was there, my dad, my uncle, and me and during the summers and, you know, made sandwiches and we're sitting around their kitchen table, you know, the same kitchen table they grew up around talking about, you know, work and ideas and thoughts and okay, we should do this and this is a good idea or blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, oh, that's what you do. My grandma would chime in. My mom would chime in. I'm sure my aunt chimed in. My wife, con- you know, I, I don't think I make any decisions really without her. You know, I make normal like day to day you know, factory work decisions, but like bigger, you know, bigger stuff. It's like you're, I married you because you're smart, probably smarter than me. And I need to hear someone outside viewpoint. You know, my mom still throws her viewpoint on my business. My dad does that too. I call him constantly telling him about things the same way they sat around that lunch table. We do that constantly and all the time. So I guess the, 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 the answer to your thing is I don't know anything different. Yeah. My, I had friends I grew up with whose parents when, when they like my daughter just said it too. Um, 
when people say, what do your, you know, what does your dad do? Or what does your mom do? And, and kids say, I don't know, you know, and my <laughs> kids are like, look at him and go, what do you mean? You don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't, my parents never stopped talking about it. My parents, like I ask her questions all the time. Like, so what's this, what's, what's going on? You know? Yeah. It, it's just, it's all the way. It's that one big pot again, right? Work, yep. family, relationship, all of it is one gumbo pot. Yeah. And I love, I mean, you know, the, the phrase maybe trite, but kind of what's, what's caught versus taught, you know, and, and your dad mm. never sat, sat down and said, okay, this is exactly how we do things. He said, sit here, you know, open grandpa's mail and you're going to, you're going to find all this out with your own two eyes. You know? Oh, and it was, it's, it's, it has always been deep end. That's the other crazy part. You know, it's this feeling of uh, the day I turned 16, I passed, you know, in the morning at 8 a.m. And by 9 a.m., I was in a truck with a stack of Thomas Brothers making deliveries. Like Mm. that day, you know, like, here you go. Come back when it's gone. And no one, you know. I don't remember. I don't know. I don't even remember if somebody taught me how to use the Thomas brothers. It was just like, here you go. Don't come back until it's done. Don't hit anything. My <laughs> uncle did the same thing and got in an accident as day one, you know? Oh, um, but that was just, there's the deep end kick and you better, you know, there's no better way to learn to swim. The funny part was no one, how should I say that? Everybody you know, when you get kicked in the deep end, you're like, I guess you're expected to swim and then you're scared shitless, but no one's, you know, I'm not going to say letting you die, but that's that independent aspect of you're in charge of this truck today. You are the, you are the boss of this truck, right? You have an expectation to deliver, come back when it's done. Best summer of my life, you know, Mm -hmm. 16 years old, bought a cheap pair of sunglasses they would they would give me the weirdest routes. You know, I'd be in Hemet to San Bernardino and all the way downtown LA, you know, all in one day. I knew where every good little burger joint was. Pretty soon I didn't need to know where anything was. I was Thomas Brother before Thomas Brothers. And it was mm. I mean, uh, before, you know, Google Maps or whatever. I still, mm-hmm. you know, know kind of how to get places, but that was a really cool life skill that I got kicked in. I'm terrible at day-to-day factory work. Like I never, I, I learned that I learned a lot of my skills from my uncle cause he was logistics. I am not a logistics person, but I worked under him for years and I had to learn all of that, which was, I'm, I'm not great at that. I'm not great at making sure that this pile of papers is perfectly straight. And those were tough years, you know, sure. right out of college. It's like, I need a job. I went to him and you know, day-to-day warehouse work and things like that taught me a ton of stuff that I might not have ever learned. What are other things like that, that you feel like, because it's, you know, you talk about buoys in the past and, yeah. and kind, of, kind of lining up, all right, from grandpa to dad, to me, and, and maybe even to your kids. Yeah. What, yeah. what are the things that you feel like, whether intentional or just kind of a part of the family culture or whatever you want to call it, uh, are, are similarities kind of generational similarities all the way down? Um, faith. That's number one. Hmm. Um, I think that is a, a key component to our family. Uh, are we, 
are we all very good at it? No, but there is an in, intrinsic faith in who we are, what we do and what we believe. If we start there, um, a strong marriage is number two. It's, you know, there's no, there is no divorce. My, if there was, my wife would have left me years and years and years ago, like 50 times over, <laughs> you know, um, because no one deserves this. Um, th- when you start with those things, then the next aspect of it is when you have kids, that's like really when my life got good. I think that's probably all of our family was um, like my wife says, I'm a really great dad, but a pretty okay husband, which I'm okay with, you know, Um, there's no, if I start with that and then start kind of rolling down the hill, um, it's pretty free range at that point. And the free range aspect to all of that, all of the decisions that come after it are in total support. If my brother doesn't want to work and plays baseball, my dad will go to, my mom and dad would go to every single game. My mom and my grandma drove across the country in a diesel car back when their diesel was only at gas stations just to go watch and play a game. I mean, it's like full blown support, you know, mm-hmm. no one's going to be um, pushing you. But when everybody shows up to all your games, you kind of keep playing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a term that my, my father has used to me at some of my worst times was, Hey man, we, we, we win together. We lose together. Hmm. That's a big one. You know, when everybody thinks of a, or, uh, you know, from the outside world, people go, Oh, if you fail, well, you got a, you got a safety net or something like that. But the, uh, you know, never using it, never drawing your gun is a good thing to be. If you're a cop, you know, mm-hmm. um, never having to never we're always going, oh, I'm going to work my way out of this hole. You know, um, those are all good, but the crazy part or the world's greatest part is because of all of those things that unwritten quiet code is, uh, I can depend on my father. My father's never let me down. You know, my mm. mom's never let me down. My uncle's never let me, you know, my cousins I work with, I never, I never have to worry about. Yeah. Right. And, and that's not always normal. There is no taking advantage. There's no advantage to be taken because more will be asked of you than you're ever going to be paid. Yeah. Um. You know, the, the, I missed dates when I was driving truck for a company I didn't I didn't own, right? Right. And yeah. if I sat back, if I sat back and thought about that, that's pretty dumb. Why would I do that, right? But all of it's kind of beat in to a certain extent, and because of that, you get a I think a weird sense of pride to those things. And maybe it's kind of like when someone passed away, you only remember the good stuff. But I, I always think that there's probably going to be more smiles than frowns. Mm. And when you say these buoys, right, those are the same things. That's the, that's being the, you know, we're not really talking about honor and prepare, but the little 
and symbol between honoring those that have come before you and preparing the way for those yet to come means you are not living for yourself. The whole point of it is you're living to honor those that came before you because they prepared a way for you. You're living to prepare for those kids. So if they, you know, kind of sign the contract of this is what we believe and this is how we live, then they'll honor you in some way. You know, my, my last name doesn't belong to me. It belongs to my grandfather and my father. And what I do with it has a direct reflection upon them. My Mm -hmm. kids, my daughter, who's, you know, a freshman in high school, who has a lot of trust in the trust bank, which I did and my folks did, um, knows that if she screws up, that last name goes to me and my my wife and my dad, my mom, you know, everybody who lives in this valley. And that's, you don't want that. You don't want that put on you. Mm. And she's doing nothing but making it look better, right? Take an opportunity mm. and then shine it. Make it sure. shine brighter. Make it shine brighter. Make it shine brighter. And maybe maybe that's one of a weird part of the buoy, but it's just like, nah, you know, I looked at my grandpa's life. Um, I looked at my folks, my, you know, aunt and uncle, uh, both sides, my wife's family, all of them. And if I kind of just line those points up, it's kind of waypoints. I'm like, well, it seems like they got that figured out. That's kind of the life I would like. And maybe if I just keep it between the lines here and, and motor down, that's probably a good way to go. So here, so here's a question about that then. Um, Things that you would admire, respect about your dad. Mm -hmm. um, But then also things that you, as I was thinking about this kind of that you want to be, when you grow mm. up that he yeah. already is, you know what I mean? Things you admire about him that you that you're saying, I'm not there yet, but I'd love to, I'd love to be like him in that way, uh, character, whatever, whatever the case may be. My dad, my dad is a different person today than when he raised me mm. and he had different goals. Then he is definitely mellowed out, but is still very much a hunter you know, likes to get out, likes to get in the mix, likes to mix it up, likes, you know, you you can't, you don't undo that. Right. Um, but in, in a great way, what I have really appreciated is I've seen my dad soften Mm -hmm. and maybe I've seen, I've seen him soften with time. I've seen him soften with, uh, socially, you know, what he, what he believes about certain things. Um, those are all good. The thing I, I admire going back to the, in the stands was there was a time when my dad wanted to be on the field because he's like, I can still play, you know, here we, I'm in the mix, man. Sure. And when your fight, when that happens and you're kind of coming up, that is, that will be, that will be hitting each other with hammers. And in our family, you, you, it sounds crazy to say this, but you fight for not only respect, but you you fight and you, you earn your place at the table. And mm-hmm. by earning your place at the table, you want to, you eventually you want to cut, cut the Turkey. 
You know, right. you want to hold the knives at, at, at Christmas. And there, those are times, those are things that happen very quietly um, over time. And it's harder when you're closer and it means more when it happens. But I do remember, you know, one conversation I had with my dad and it was very similar uh, where I, I said, man, I need you to cheer from the stands, man. Hmm. You know, you've had your, you've had home runs. You've had this. I, I, I need it. Ha- these have to be, these are mine. Don't totally. take them, you know? Yeah. And that was tough for everybody. Uh, but that was the beginning of the, the, my, my favorite phase of my relationship with my old man, because working with your family is really, really hard because no one pulls a punch sure. and people know where to land them, yeah, you know? Right. <laughs> um, that that point, I think what my father would is most excited about now is um, my brother and I with our kids, and he gets to be in the the honor spot, you know, mm-hmm. where uh, with him and my mom, we have found that if we, uh, you know, there's a point where your dad holds the tickets to the baseball game, right? And then I'm like, can I have my ticket? And he's yeah, like, right. no, no. Why not? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right, right? I remember that. And then you go to the turnstile, and then he hands like all four tickets, and he's like, all right, right. let's go. Dodger Stadium, I can tell you where we were. That's funny. And then there's a point where uh, you hold the tickets. And not yeah. treating my, you know, not treating my dad like a 10 year old in a negative way, but just going, now nah, we'll take care of that. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, all of the stress of having to plan or do anything falls on you, which you want to do anyway. And mm-hmm. now they're a 10 year old kid, right? You're like, yeah, go just hang out with the kids. Have a great time. Yeah. You know, uh, I love paying for dinner beating him to the punch. I mean, these are weird, weird coming of age things. Sure. But like, you know, Thanksgiving, he's like, why don't you let me pay? What's the deal? I'm like, no, I don't know. So I can handle it, man. You know, kind of a thing. And it's not emasculating him or taking something away from my mom and my dad. It's not that at all. It gets to the point where my dad said, you know, a couple days ago where it's pretty neat when your son turns down the Yankees. And, and me and him are working together and there's nothing I'd rather do. Right. Mm-hmm. Or this is, this is a good spot. My brother doesn't want to change the life of his family. He loves where he's at. And we both in a very open conversation, there's no aspect of settling involved in this. There's no aspect of, um, saying, well, uh, this is good enough. You know, sure. it's not, it's not a negative plateau, but sometimes you have to know when you're holding the brass ring and, yeah. and, and maybe that'll change in the future, but I'm looking forward to, to being here, doing what I'm doing is my daughter goes through the next four years of school and then chooses her life path. I'm excited to see my son go through his, you know, whatever many years and see his life's path. And I know right now we're both in the meat of it. We're both in that era. uh, Both my brother and I, 
sure. of married 20 years, kids that are getting a little older. I remember my, I'm starting to look at photos of us as a family with my brother being married, me and my wife being married and my mom and dad on a vacation previous to kids. And now I'm older than my dad. And those are weird transformations, but those are also probably, you know, these are the good old days. That's the Mm -hmm. way I have to view it. I have to view it that way. And sometimes you settle into it because you go, oh man, I can't believe all that stupid rock pushing has led to this. And maybe I should just kind of enjoy pushing the rock here and be happy about what I'm doing. You don't have to jump out of the airplane every sing- every five minutes just to prove to yourself you can do it. Right. Maybe you should, um, you know, if you're doing 220 miles down the back straight, you know, great. You're doing 220. You know, you don't need to, uh, you know, you were happy when you're doing 100. If right. you're doing 220 now, be pretty happy, you know. Yep. Um, let's keep it all together. So when I say traits and things like that, I think that right now, those faith pieces, being a good husband, being a good father, um, you know, you don't have to be dad of the year, but you have, your kids need to know that you love them. Yeah. I think that's the biggest piece. It's not that you're authoritarian or anything, but they, you know, my kids know, my, my kids asked to go to my dad, mom's house. Can I go mm-hmm. drop me off at grandpa and grandma's? I'm like, sure. Mm-hmm. Just to hang out with them? Yeah. Well, that feels like something's right. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but that feels right. So it, and it's actually really interesting that you say that because I just I just recently uh, was with a group of people that told me something that was kind of shocking. The first in, in kids' lives, the first influence is mom. Mm-hmm. And now the second influence, second most significant influence that people that kids are experiencing are actually grandparents, even before the dad. Yeah, and, I would say so. Sure. And, and so and so even as I was thinking about this, you know, well, I think do you think that's it, because that homes now are much different than they used to be. There's so many people now where home and housing prices are so expensive that this this boomerang thing is starting to take place where people, you know, husband and wife move out of their home, live in some city, and the mom and dad go, listen, this house is too big for us. Why don't you take by the house? We'll live in the basement. We'll do blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden that unit collapses once again. Maybe, maybe not, but yeah. I see that happening more and more. I think it could be some of that. I think it could be, um, you know, even just the way that uh, as dads, we maybe don't know um, there are high expectations. There are high expectations on everyone as far as being perfect at everything, you know, social media. It's unreal. You can shine up your life. And I'm wondering, and and this was a a question that I had for you, kind of how we see, we see men struggling as, dads as what that looks like being present uh loving your kids and and kind of see people struggling with that i don't necessarily know the root cause of that unless that is hey it's too hard to be perfect so i'm just going to be absent that's easier mm-hmm. um but but just even kind of speaking to that i guess as, as switching gears a little bit talking more about how you uh well let's talk about dad, that that piece real quick the struggling as dads yeah the the interesting part of that I know I, where I live is weird, so I can't really throw that in the pot, but in my experience now, um, there was an era where guys would go out like drinking or screwing around or whatever, you know, 
stuff, but they would be with their buddies or disappear onto a golf course or, or disappear doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And now what seems very bizarre is I hang out with my kids a lot, a lot, a lot. Sure. And when I go to breakfast on Saturday mornings, you know, if cash can, if cash is awake or Brielle's awake or whatever, I'm like, let's go to breakfast and we'll go to breakfast with two or three other buddies and all of their, their kids are with them. Hmm. And we can go to like in the summer, go to drive in movies. And even if the wives are like, no, we're going to go out and do a girl's night. The guys still go and bring all their kids everywhere we go. It's always like there's some kids getting drug around with it. Yeah. And maybe that's because we live in an area where, you know, I can see where I work from my house and, and see the vineyard. And it's this very small cluster. But if you're in, I think on the other side of it, you're in traffic. If you're living in traffic, that's stealing so much of your time. And it's stealing so much of, if I was just home right now, time. Because then mm-hmm. it takes away, like traffic gives me anxiety. Because when I'm in it, I know I'm not doing the, uh, I'm wasting time. I, mm-hmm. I know I should be, if I was just there or doing the thing, I'd probably be having more fun. And I didn't waste this time just sitting there doing nothing. And if I lived in Southern California, like I did 90, you know, well, half my life now, and it took me a long time to get home. By the time I got home, I wouldn't be relaxed. I would be, okay, now I got to get all the shit I should have been doing right. done. Right. And then all of a sudden the, the list gets higher and then just being with my kids would probably get quieter. Um, but I do agree with you. I think the pressure that we put on ourselves now to answer every text inbox zero, um, actually have good conversations with people, have meaningful things, uh, have what, you know, that work life balance thing. I don't think, you know, like when, and I'm not stepping in front of women in any way, shape or form, because I think I'm pretty much a feminist. Like when people go, Oh, to have it all. Right. And that was a big trope on TV where it's like Mm -hmm. working mom, but she's also a great mom and she's killing it at her career. And then also has a good love life. And I think a lot of that falls with husbands as well too. But you know, we, we rarely get together to talk about it. Yeah. Or come or complain to each other about it. You're like, how are you doing? You're like, I, good, I guess. I don't know. You know, that <laughs> right. seems like, that seems like what it is. Right. Um, but yeah, I think in today's day and age, I don't know if people want to be perfect or cause I don't care if anybody looks in at me and thinks I'm perfect or not, but I think our personal expectations for ourselves is very high. Sure. And the more pressure we put on ourselves, the, the maybe the less we're enjoying ourselves. I mean, I, that, like we talked about that, like waking up every morning, I'm always anxious because I'm like, holy cow, come on, come on, come on, you know, mm-hmm. work. I got to burn this off. It's like gas. I got to burn it off throughout the day. But with, you're talking about the dad thing. I know I'm in a special situation um, because I get to bring my kids pretty much anywhere and everywhere they do their, you know, walk here after school, do their homework on a bar. They know where I am. Like if somebody goes, where's your dad right now? They go, well, either in a field, in a winery, in a building or in his truck. Those are pretty much it, you know? Sure. And 
when your daughter has her face on a bottle and your son has his face on a bottle, that's they're definitely integral to what we do. And I hope that continues. That's my goal, but it doesn't have to be wine, but I hope it continues. Right. And I think, and and I think that's even, that's even part of it is just that it doesn't have to be wine. And so even, you know, I think, I think there's an element of that. Okay. We're, Hey, we're stuck in traffic, but also what, what traffic are are we creating Hmm. that isn't necessary? What, what busyness, what noise in our lives as, as moms, dads, people, I don't care, you know, because there is, there is more that you're still asking your kids to come to breakfast. You're still asking them to, to hop in the truck. There's yeah. still, there's and if still they say no, they don't have to come. It's totally, but there's still an intention with the time that you do have. And is there more overlap because you live where you live and you do what you do? Yeah. I would think, you know, you're not working a nine to five where you're completely inaccessible to people, to yeah. to your kids, but you're still asking them that there's still some intention there. And, and, and I think that's where that can't get lost because otherwise then the guy that is working nine to five says, well, it, it's impossible. I don't, I don't run my own winery, so I can't be a good dad. Well, that's not, that's not it. You could, you could be, you could be failing as a dad and still be doing exactly what you're doing, but you've chosen not to. Yeah. Well, and I'm not, I'm not as much trying to give you you know more credit than you deserve. No, no, no. But I'm trying to give people because but I think here's the thing. we can feel hopeless about it. Oh, okay. That, yeah, totally. I can't do it. Well, there's well, just no way. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I also say that about running a marathon. You know, everybody, every single person <laughs> wants to be really, really good at the things they want to be good at. Yeah. That's a shitty thing to say, but that's true. If I wanted to be skinny and ripped and everything else, I would be. Hmm. But I, um, it doesn't matter as much to me. Sure. Uh, on the other side of that equation is uh, my kids and my wife tend to get the worst of me mm-hmm. because, and I, this is something I've really learned in the last year is like when I'm, when I'm here or working, you know, I'm on, right. I am, people are coming in. I know that, uh, they got in a car and drove 150 miles to be here. Um, there's a, I take that pretty seriously, right? Well, this is what built this thing. It's also sure. what provides a, a good life. It, it's all, it's all that game, you know, but I also realize that when I'm not on, that's not the greatest, you know, some people turn on when they get home because they've been off all day. Right. And their kids get the best of them or their wife gets the best of them. There's more days that I come in the door and go, oh, I can unzip the Keith suit and hang it on the wall and just walk in. And there's the shell of of the guy that they are going to listen to and hear this, you know, comes in and puts his feet up. And and how your day? And I go, it's all right. It is good. Even if. I just talked to 200 people and blasting. This is my family. This is why it's great. And da, 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 da. and then they get me and and they're like, well, that's a different guy that was on stage, you know? And I think that's a funny way to put it, but I love that Disney term. There's backstage and there's on stage. If you're on, if you walk out these gates, you are on stage because nobody 
wants to see a sad dwarf, you know, nobody, <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's like, leave your problems back there, man, get on it. Hmm. And not that there's fakeness to that, but there is the best of you. And then there's the parts that are, you know, normal day-to-day stuff. And my wife gets abrupt Keith. She gets tired Keith. My friends get that. You know, it sounds really bad, but like the people I'm closest with get the wor- sure. the worst and worst versions of it. Um, but I do think going back to the, you know, the dad and being a good at stuff is I think we've entered an age where it is. Uh, my buddy Strider Wasilewski said it to me a while back, and I think it was really good. He said, when I grew up, it was easy to be a kid and hard or I'm sorry, it was hard to be an, a, a kid and easy to be an adult because the expectations were pretty low on them, on the adults. You know, parents didn't talk about stuff with their kids. They're like, I can't believe my kid did that. People would say that and they're like, oh my gosh, that's shocking, you know? And when you're a kid, you're getting in fights and doing stuff and it was kind of hard being a kid. And now right. I would say this generation X whatever you know, that middle part that grew up with when punk music was good. Um, now we're growing up and it's pretty easy to be a kid. It sounds weird to say that, but it's kind of hard to be a parent. Now dads talk about parenting, right? They talk about mm-hmm. where the generation before that, I don't think they did. Sure. Um, you know, I guess it's got a pretty sweet life. Never worries about like, you know, and I know that's cultural and I know that's geographical and all that kind of stuff, but the burden came with it. You know, it comes with it that now as an adult, you're worried about, like you're saying, all of those work, family, love, uh, being a good parent, child raising. Do they have enough food? Are we living in the right place? Are they in the right school? And I know every parent is always worried about that but that burden seems to be coming wider. You know, now what I just described could be a man or a woman. You know, it's not that era of, you know, guy went to work and mom stayed home. Um, Now it's everybody's working because that's how many bills there are to pay. And everybody's taken up the, who's going to cook dinner guys, girls who, you know, the, the roles are gone because Mm -hmm. of necessity, not because of ease, even though we can get food and everything delivered straight to your house the the effort and the work and the stress is seems higher and higher and higher but i don't think that the generation after us is subscribing to the same thing we were looking at like when i look at my folks pretty traditional my grandpa and grandma very traditional my kids coming up i don't think they're going to buy into the american dream the same way we did you know own a house own a car do this, do that, have a your collection of stuff, you know, all of that. They seem like they're going to be pretty unburdened by um, aspects of life. I know that's a horrible generalization, but it's, it's also very interesting to watch. Sure. You know, when I was a kid, I stressed about getting a car and, you know, working on that kind of a thing. Now it's like, eh, I got a phone. I'm, I'll be fine. You know, <laughs> I'm just Uber. Yeah, right. it's like what? Well, I guess that's pretty chill. Yeah, super chill. <laughs> well, 
what are what are some hard things as a dad? What are what are things that you've experienced over the years that that have just been difficult? I don't know. Um, hard things, or still are. <sighs> no one knows what they're doing. You yeah. know, that's kind of where it all comes down to. And do you think we think we should? Yeah, I think so. Like, like, do you feel like you should know what you're doing? No, but, uh, you know, sitting in rooms now, I look around, I'm like, where are the adults? You know, and it's like, <laughs> oh, shit, that's us. Um, I think we're way more vocal and we're more, I think we care about it more. That's a weird thing to say. Like, mud gets stuck to us more than any other generation. Mm. You know, it's it's kind of weird. But if I always think of a letter, right? One of the things I thought was super crazy was like, if you watch like Mad Men or something like that, people would just like litter, leave shit everywhere. Right. You know, and walk away and didn't care. Now you go to a store and you're concerned about the cup. You know, what kind of cup is this? Is that, I don't want to, you know, the straw that you're going to use. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's good. That puts us in the right direction, but that's kind of, it's a weird thing. It's that's another micro stress that adds to your day. Hmm. And you start piling on these little one percenter stresses. And pretty soon, you know, you, you build up a pretty good arsenal of shit to worry about during the day. Yeah, right. With my kids, um, they know I love them. I say it to them all the time. They, I say it so much that they're sick of it. You know, they know why I go to work. They know why mom goes to work. They know they are very, they have a front row seat to why. When we were building this business in the early years, it was, you know, we'd eat dinner on the floor in this taste room all the time. And it would be like, you know, little four-year-old girl and a, and cash who was in a, was like a newborn be like on the floor and like one of those little bouncy things and we're eating pizza off, you know, the floor or whatever. And usually eight o'clock at night and we're like, Oh my gosh, I haven't eaten. And that's how they grew up. They grew up with a front row seat to this getting built. And I, I did that with my, in my family too, you know, front row seat. This is, well, this is just how you do it. And that work ethic has really built baked into my daughter. That's easy. She's Mm -hmm. got it. You know, this is just, the sh- she's like, this, this is the wood we got to chop today. All right. And she, she doesn't, I don't, I've never asked her to do her homework once ever. Wow. I've never asked her if she has something to do. She goes, oh, I'm going to nail this thing. You know, Sunday afternoon. She's like, I'm going to chop this. I'm going to do this. I should be done by this time. I'm like, okay. I mean, she's like raising herself in a weird way. <laughs> but then, you know, she's also the girl that I trust. I'd never worry about her going to a second location when she's not supposed to. Um, that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't worry that can change in a heartbeat. I'm prepared for that. Hmm. Very prepared. And things have happened that were like, boom, this is how this is going to work kid. And the law comes down quick. And then it's like, sure. don't crack the bank. Don't crack the trust bank, man. Um, cash is just me. And that's easier or not easier. That's harder. Because some things come super easy and other things are impossible. And the what kid do you, is what just, do you see of yourself in him? Um, 
I, you know, I would go home with homework folded up in my pocket. I'd have a trapper keeper, but it would still be folded up. And then I'd, you know, go through the wash and all that kind of stuff. The trapper keeper. Yeah, totally. Love it. But, you know, Cash isn't good at factory work at all. Hmm. You know, he's just not. But if there's a presentation, oh, he'll do good. You know, he's really good at the stuff that school does not grade, you know, which life does. So in a very weird way, I'm I'm not really worried about my daughter because I know she'll be a success in whatever she chooses to be. And I'm not super worried about cash because he's really good at the stuff that life grades on. Yeah. And school doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, he's like fair. He's the Ferris Bueller of the, the family. Sure. He'll be he'll be just fine. You know, it's like, yeah, Ferris got D's across, but he probably launched an app and has a billion dollars. Right. Um, But with kids, I think a big part of it is like who they're around influences. Uh, Are they being a good influence? I love it when my son says that his friends are being jerks Mm. because that means he doesn't like how they're acting. So he'll remove himself and be bummed. Right. Right. Those are okay. Those are good. Yeah. Um, but day to day, I know if they know that if they wake up in a house, that by the time they sit down at their desk at school, they haven't worried about a thing. They haven't worried if there's food in the fridge. They haven't worried about lights being on. They haven't worried about does mom and dad love each other. They don't worry. They haven't worried about literally a single thing. They were, they were closing the closet. There's warm water, toothpaste, food. Um, By the time they hit their desk, that's when their first worry begins. Hmm. That's okay. That's that's the best I can do. Yeah, That's the best I can do. I think that as any parent, do you know I love you? Yes. Come on. I know you love me. Great. Stop, Dad. (laughs) Totally. Right? And maybe they're going to grow up in an era where they're like, I how do you not just know I love you through osmosis, right? Or something. I don't know, but <laughs> that'll be their problem at that point. But um, I think that's, that's always been the goal for my wife and myself is that my daughter, my wife will protect my children's hearts hmm. when uh, in every, in every stake, because um, a friend of mine, Jeff Seek said it where he, cause he has great kids and they're crazy. Their whole family is crazy. I love it. But he's like, I don't want a teacher to break my child's spirit. Yeah. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts I think my parents gave me and gave my wife. And my wife, I go, geez, your parents loved you too much. I've said that to her a billion times because she's like, well, why not? I'm like, dude, come on. You know, that's not that's not reality. Nobody loves you that much kind of a thing. Um. But yeah, my parents never broke our spirit. When me and my brother fought, they would watch us fight. And they let us be who we were and uh, it didn't expect us to excel, but we wanted to bad, you know, highly yeah. competitive household. You know, you play cards, you play to win. Everybody did. You know, it wasn't like, oh, here, here's a card. You know, it was none of that. It was like, it was brutal. 
you would you're like and you would get pointed at and laughed at and it was like you know it was highly highly competitive your my mom was a, a tremendous athlete and she would just drain threes on you all day long when you were a kid you know and she wouldn't let you win, but she she'd be like, "Watch this," and she just dunk all over you, right? right. Um, which breeds in that mentality of no one's going to give it to you, but you can have a job, right? And now you, if you want to win, go out and win. You bring up your mom, and this is a, maybe a good final question. Uh, you, you've told me in the past, and and I think said it uh, on a podcast at some point um, that she prayed for humility. Oh yeah. For you and your brother. And you, you, you describe it tongue in cheek as the worst prayer. Maybe, maybe not tongue in cheek as the worst prayer. to no. pray for. Oh God, it's the worst. It's like, <laughs> a, you know, that. thanks mom. Yeah, no joke. I mean, probably the, one of the worst things ever. I mean, that you, you could make the argument that Sarlos and sons is Linda Sarlos and two and her two sons, you know, um, mm-hmm. my mom is the saint. She's, she is, she's, uh, married way below her with my dad. My dad had to wait six weeks to get a date with her six weeks because she was like, she was the it girl at high school, you know, the youngest of a bunch of kids. Uh, her dad was a, a carpenter, toughest dude I've ever seen. Um, you know, she went out there and won great athlete still, yeah. you know, awesome skier, shoot a gun. What? I mean, right. You just look at her and go, yeah, I, I kid you not to this day. If somebody's like Keith, your team captain, I'm like, I'll take Heather Sarlo's first pick, Linda Sarlo's second pick. I don't care who you give me after that. Right. Because right. we will win based upon those two people. Love it. It's like, that's the, that's the, you know, who do you want? I'll take Jordan and then I'll take Kobe. You know, right, it's like, right. <laughs> who else do you want? And you're like, I don't care. It doesn't you know, matter. At two point. on five will win. Um, so, so, and maybe, and maybe there's a good, um, yeah, maybe that's another episode. That's a whole other mothers, thing. Mothers but, and daughters. But but the question that I would ask. Yeah. Um, the praying for humility thing, right? But but yeah, but what, what are you praying in that same sense for your son, for your daughter? Oh. I don't know yet. Hmm. You know, right now it's mostly, mostly what I pray is, you know, that I think about them all the time. I hope they're making right decisions. Um hopefully there's an area of warmth and being accepting and loving who they are at all times and limited stress, limited things that make you go do the things you know you shouldn't. Hmm. Right. That's a weird thing to say Mm -hmm. because when you want to rebel, you want to rebel and there's something you want to rebel from. If, if, you know, everybody knows why the kids in high school that drink, drink, everybody knows why the kids who smoke weed, smoke weed. Everybody knows why the people who are promiscuous or promiscuous. All everybody knows why all those things. Sure. You know what I mean? It sounds crazy. And maybe that that's profiling, of course, but typically the, yeah, you, you can figure it out. You know, if, uh, when my daughter, she sang an opening thing down in Pacific Palisades, which is, you know, like a three hour drive on a Saturday from here. Everybody went, my mom, my dad, me, Cash, uh, Grammy, you know, my mom's, uh, my wife's parents, 
friends all showed up to hear her sing a, a three minute song. And, and, and it was hard to get to, and there was packed and there was all this kind of crazy stuff. It was, I wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't do that to go to a concert, right? To a band you really love. And all of these people showed up to hear a a 15 year old girl sing a song. It's that is, that is a, a gift to her you don't really want to go out and lose those people's respect. Hmm. And in our family, love and respect are two different things. Yeah. Because I can love someone and not respect them. I can respect somebody and not love them. Yeah. But when you get that, that beautiful moment of love and respect, that is something you never want to give up. Mm -hmm. And I think with my daughter, she's like, she understands the, I'm not going to, why would I blow this money on that garbage thing? You know yeah. what I mean? Like when you bring your kid and you're like, there's a hundred dollar bill, kid. You can either keep it in your pocket and it will continue to grow. Or you can blow it on that thing that you'll be bored of in 10 minutes. What are you going to do? And she's the one that goes, let's leave. I'll take, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll roll that hundred dollar bill up right now mm-hmm. because that's way more important to me than the instant gratification of whatever sure. else it is. We, and, and, and another thing is we've done that since she was in first grade, we'd go to coffee every morning. She'd sit around a bunch of, uh, old guys drinking coffee, walk up to school. Everybody's like, I love you. You know, giving her, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's like, why would I want to ruin this? You know, mm-hmm. it's like walking into the party and, I'm horrible at those because I'll try to try to hide in the corner at any party. But um, why would you want to ruin the good thing? You know, and and if you if you develop that good thing, people generally don't want to break good stuff. Yeah. You know, something of value. You don't want to crash the car. Right. You don't want to uh, throw away something that's like you know. Why would I want that? I it sounds like a funny thing. My dad would say it to me all the time. Like before I knew what I wanted to do with my life or I do it now all the time. Like, you know, I, my wife has had, we, we, ha- we keep cars forever. You know, it's not a broken until it has 200,000 miles on it. We don't, mm-hmm. you know, we're not big on buying cars. Um, but as we drive around, my dad does this. I do this. I look at businesses and go, would I want to own that? Would I want to own a business like that? And all the way down the road, I drive around in a car. It's like, do I want to own that car? Do I want to own that car? Do I want to, you know, I say that in my mind, but with her or with my kids, what we've kind of baked in is, do I want that life? Do I want that life? Do I want that life? What life do I want? What am I, what do I have? Jealous is a weird word. Envy, I like better because envy means, oh, there's something, there's something to be admired about that person or what they do or what they have. Maybe it's their career. Maybe it's the way they are a parent. Maybe it's their skills, maybe whatever. They have enviable attributes. Hmm. And I, I always go, man, if I can get to the point where I have envy in my heart for no man, then I'm, I'm happy. That's where I want to be. I don't want to be satisfied, but I just don't want 
I, I got to get to the point where I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good here. This is good. Mm-hmm. I don't envy anyone. And with our kids, we, t- we, I tend to say that to her. I'm like, you know, what would be better? And with, in our family, this like last summer, you know, we did a great trip and that was a big, big thing. That was part of a cohesion of our family, you know? Um, now it's like, well, what would make our home better? What, what would make you want to be here with your friends? What would, you know, all of those things. And now we're, we're chasing down that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. for me and and that, you know, Cash is just a normal, he's a puppy dog with thumbs and mm-hmm. Briella, she goes out into the world. Um, I know that this is, a, this is where I wanted to raise my kids and our friend Sean and his wife are, are really wonderful, but he goes, this valley, this place we live gives our kids a four year uh, head start. And what he means by that is um, the things I was doing, doing as a seventh grader, kids don't do here until they're sophomores in high school. Mm. And they, they can thread that needle of graduating clean, you know, of, of, uh, idyllic leave mm. it to beaver sure. kind of stuff like, Oh, gee, mom. Like my biggest problem is, you know, this, this, pr- the problem that you kind of look at and you're like, Oh yeah, right. that's a big problem. Right. Um, but <laughs> it's a funny way to put it, but that's, that's also why as soon as, you know, Heather goes, I'm pregnant. I'm like, we're moving. I knew this is where I wanted to raise kids. Yeah. And I think the the place we're in has as much of an impact on them as people and who they're going to be when they grow up as, as you know, like, like you're saying environment versus home. If you're, if mom goes number one and grandparents are two, it's probably environment is probably three, you know, mm-hmm. and dad somewhere down the road. Um, right. But that's, that is a conscious decision of why we chose to raise our kids here. Sure. Cash still rides his bike to school. That's pretty yeah. cool. Right down that the middle cool. of the street. Right. I mean, how cool is I look at that? I kid you not, man. I, it brings a tear to my eye to see that because I know, I know that that's special here. And I know that's why we, I mean, I say it all the time. There would have been a lot easier ways to make money and live a quote unquote good life. Moving here was really hard and it was, it was actually a really bad decision, but pushing that rock every day, moving forward every day. I get to be around my folks. My, my wife's parents, you know, are here half the year. My son can ride his bike down the middle of the highway. I can teach my daughter how to drive a stick on a, on a public road. I don't, you know, I can leave my keys in the car when I run in to get a coffee. It's like, Ooh, that's pretty sweet. You know, that's like living in McCook, Nebraska, and I'm eight miles from the ocean. Right. It's not bad. Not bad. But, it comes with a, a lot of work. You got to drill your own well here. Sure. That's well, pretty good. Creating, and creating that, you know, I, I don't think it's impossible. I don't, I don't live where you live. And yeah. I live in a similar, you know, small town environment yeah. where my kids are walking to school and I'm okay with that and all of those types of things. But even so kind of looking at it and saying, okay, where can I, where can I create that? In my yeah, life, right where I am in in downtown LA or wherever else, creating an environment in your home and your family and your life, you know, 
kind of in that same sense, okay, yeah, you may commute, there may be traffic, but where are you creating unnecessary traffic in your own life? And in that same sense, on the other side of the coin, okay, you're, you may not live in, in small town America where, you know, it is idyllic and perfect, but how can you create pockets of safety and family yeah. and those kind of places for, for yourself and your kids and those around this, you? Here's a funny thing to say. When I grew up, there were parts of where I grew up, you didn't go. Sure. And it was dangerous, like legit dangerous, hmm. right? Downtown LA was one of those places. And now downtown LA is kind of nicer. Sure. And I feel like these generations is starting with ours and maybe the next one's coming up and things like that. There is, I, I truthfully believe that there's an opportunity because things are getting safer. Things are getting better. Culturally, there's aren't these really rigid lines anymore. Now, you know, uh, it, it depend. It doesn't really matter what you look like or what your skin color or whatever, any of the things that are kind of used to separate people. Now people are fully in on things and, and I feel like accepted in whatever they sure. choose to be a part of because right. now it's so easy to connect. You know, if you're a kid and you were in the middle of nowhere and you love to skateboard, you know, and you would be the only skater in your town, you know, people, people would yell at you, Hey kid, what are you doing? You know, whatever hassle you, you're a punk or whatever. That was a negative. You know, if you had a tattoo, Holy cow, you know, that was a thing. Now, if you're a kid and you're into the weirdest little thing, there's probably a billion kids out there just right. like you into that build. And so when you walk into school, these are like your work proximity acquaintances. They don't have to be your friends, right? You can have your friends everywhere. And I think that totally opens you up to feeling accepted, feeling like, you know, you could be a big deal to everybody else except for the people you live around. Yeah. And and that can be a thing now. Congratulations. Right. That's probably one of the greatest gifts given to a uh, generation of people that ever have been. If you like music and you're into it, you don't have to have studio space, man. You have a laptop. You could get your hands on a laptop. The equipment you're using now, you could, dude, you could record. You, you want to be an EDM you know, DJ, dude, lock yourself in your room and hammer this stuff out and you could get your stuff out there. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for anybody to say, well, I don't know the right people or I can't get my stuff played or I can't do. If you're good, people will find you and you just need to keep pushing and keep putting it out there and finding people who are like you. And, you know, even if you nobody understands you, but those other people, awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. It's a wonderful time to be alive. Yep. We should probably cut it off, huh? <laughs> what do you think? What do you have another question? Or are we good? I think we're good. That's that's good. There's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff. Oh, in there. there's a lot of meat in there. I can't believe you don't even tell me what we're gonna talk about. And I just gotta just <laughs> off the top of my head, just blast this stuff out there like a it's moron. Better it's better that way. You think so? Oh yeah. I, who knows, man? I feel like I'm 
Dude, uh, right now it's half. It's so funny to do this because halfway through it, I'm like, yeah, this is good. And now we're at the end. I'm like, oh, what did you just say? <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> yeah, totally. I totally do that every time. And I go like this in my head. I'm like, you, you just said that off the top of your head this whole time. Are you serious? How, you're a moron. <laughs> you're a, you're a monkey with a handgun, kid. No, it's in there. I'm just uh, asking the questions to pull it out. It's all uh, good. Therapy, my therapy bill. There, there exactly. Oh, great. Awesome. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. So uh, this is chapter four of the book report. And as always, this is Keith Sarles and Mike Larson. We're putting together a book of all of this stuff that will eventually make it onto some sort of media. Hopefully there's still books by the time we get to the end of this thing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to put it out there for kids. It'll be on your VR goggles, kids. Perfect. Perfect. Um, So if you have a question, comment, uh, concern. Yeah, concerns. Good. Uh, Send us an email, book at sarlsonsons.com, and we will get into the meat. So this is uh, chapter four. What was the father and sons that we're calling it? Father and sons. So for Keith and Mike. Thank you. We're going to keep getting a couple more of these out and then push them out to the world and see what happens. That's right. Uh, Catch you next time. Bye. Bye.